0: There's a quote by the indigenous Australian activist, Leela Watson. And I think it's probably the best comment that I've heard that really defines what I believe that allyship is. And she says, um, if you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because you understand that our liberation is tied together, then let's get to work. The fact that she uses the word help and says that this is actually not what people want is really what, for me, what allies get wrong, right? It's this idea that I am here as a white person to help black people or as a man to help women or as someone who is heterosexual to help folks who are LGBT. People have to understand that any form of oppression hurts both groups.
1: I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Creating a more equal workplace where you feel like you can be yourself and will be valued for that is going to take all of us. Research finds that unequal work environments where employees dread going to work or don't feel like they can be honest with their manager or witness and experience harassment and discrimination are the primary reasons workers quit their jobs. Approximately one in four employees dreads going to work because they don't feel safe, respected or valued. Inequality creates exclusion and isolation, detrimentally impacting innovation, productivity, engagement, and retention. Allyship programs are one way to make employees aware of how inequality works and what they can do to solve it. For example, a 2018 study conducted by Business in the Community found that 33% of Black employees believe their ethnicity will be a major barrier in their next career move. This is in stark contrast to just 1% of white employees. Allyship at Work helps to bring the challenges of racism in organizations to the surface and importantly, highlight how each of us can practice anti-racism. On today's episode, Wade Davis, Vice President of Inclusion within the product group at Netflix, will be joining us on the show to discuss all things allyship. I know it seems crazy, but not everyone supports the idea of creating a more equal workplace. Some people like the privilege and power that inequality affords them. One way to overcome resistance is through allyship programs. Overcoming resistance starts with giving employees opportunities to educate one another about their different experiences of inequality. Allyship programs are generally employee run and they seek to enable employees to advance equality within their workplace. Scott Beth, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the software company Intuit, is tackling the challenges LGBTQ employees face at work through an allyship program, and he's previously been featured on The Fix. Allyship programs educate employees about difference through empathy, advocacy, and leadership. Intuit's program begins with education on basic terminology, like what's the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation? What's a lesbian? What's a transgender person? By using the power of storytelling and including interviews and testimonials with leaders and employees, allyship programs are a powerful way to disrupt denial and educate employees about how they can take action to support equality. Allyship is an important tool for understanding and tackling racism and sexism in organizations. Here Wade shares what allyship means to him and why it's a critical tool in the fight against inequality.
0: You know, there's a quote that I've been using a lot, and it's by the indigenous Australian activist Lila Watson. And I think it's probably the best quote that I've heard or comment that I've heard that really defines what I believe that allyship is. And she says, um, if you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because you understand that our liberation is tied together, then let's get to work. And... The fact that she, you know, uses the word help and says that this is actually not what people want is really what for me what allies get wrong, right? It's this idea that I am here as a white person to help black people or as a man to help women or as someone who is heterosexual to help folks who are LGBT, right? And the distinction is is that people have to understand that any form of oppression hurts. Both groups, right? So there's this book that I'm reading called The Permanence of Racism. And he says that um, white people intended to dehumanize the enslaved, and that didn't happen, but they ended up dehumanizing themselves. And part of what I think the hardest thing about an ally is to not focus on the other, right? It's to focus on the self. So when I start to be a partner to women in creating an equitable, equal world from a gender standpoint, I first got to understand, like, what does it mean to be a man? Like, what are all of the ways that I've been groomed, that I've been socialized to, to not just understand, but fundamentally believe that men are better than women. And what does that personal journey look like? Like, what is the work I have to do? And the thing I think about a lot is when I was a little boy, so I've got three older sisters and I lived in a, community in every sense of the word because it was poor, right? And when you're poor, everyone in your neighborhood knows each other and everyone in your neighborhood takes care of each other because that's the demand of poverty. And I can remember all of the girls in my neighborhood always being told to go put some clothes on or to uh, cross their legs or close their legs or to make themselves pretty or to smile, right? Now, I have never been told any of those things. I could walk around with my shirt off. I could, you know, to be a voice, to be big and to spread and to all of those things. But I also remember me telling my sister and girls to do the exact same thing, which meant that I recognized that there was an ask of them that wasn't the same ask of me. And even though I don't have consciousness of this, I know that I was excited about the fact that that demand wasn't made on me. Right? So that meant that I understood that there were two different worlds that the girls in my neighborhood had to exist in, and there was a world that I did not have to exist in.
1: When employees don't practice inclusion or own the cultural transformation process, then companies tend to adopt off-the-shelf diversity and inclusion solutions, which have limited impact and often don't result in long-term cultural transformation. It's common for organizations to launch an allyship initiative without providing any education on the systemic barriers that all men and women face, as well as the specific actions employees need to take to remove these barriers. Here Wade shares why allyship starts with each of us.
0: I believe the work that every man or every person in the oppressed group has to do is to figure out the moment that they rejoiced in the fact that they didn't have to be the oppressed. And I think that that is the first role of an ally is to interrogate the joy of not having to be under the boot of someone else. And I don't think that many people want to do that because it's a painful experience, but it's also an experience that you can't lie about. Like I could lie about that to you and say, I don't remember that. But if I really sit with, with myself, I remember those moments where I was excited that my sister had to be treated a certain way. Like I can remember as a little boy asking my mother in church, like, why were there no women in the pulpit, right? There were always men up there preaching. And my mother was, in my mind, an important person. My grandmother who was in the church was an important person. But the real important people never were allowed to be in the pulpit. And when I asked my mother when I was probably six or seven, like, why there were no women up there, she didn't have the answer. Or at least in my mind, she didn't have the answer. But how do you tell a seven-year-old kid, what sexism and misogyny and patriarchy is like, how do you explain that, right? And then how do you also complicate the fact that for my mother raised in the South in the 1950s, the church was the only space where black men had access to power, right? Like that was that space. And as you get older, you come to understand that women learn that men need to feel important. Like that there's a certain insecurity inside of us because we see other men in our sphere have power, have things that we deem important. So how does she tell her seven-year-old kid that these Black men don't have any other space in the world where they can feel important, where they can feel powerful? She trusted herself enough that being in the background does not make her less than. But how do you explain that, right? And you can only learn that, you know, through through experience, through history. And I'm sure you, you know, you are a powerful and important person in the world. And I would imagine that you have to wrestle with the idea that your husband, right, like needs to feel important. And how do you navigate a world that tells him he's not valuable if he's not in the front, if he's not in the foreground? So allyship really, to me, is an interrogation of all of the ways and all of the times that you felt excited, rejoiced at home in your power. And then to figure out what is the cost to give that up. It costs something, right? Like if we want to create a world that is equal and equitable, someone has to give up something. All of us do actually, right? And are we willing to give up those things, right? The feeling of importance, the feeling of powerfulness, like all of those things, like we're going to have to give that up because power concedes nothing. Either it's taken or you actually have to give it away. And we're in a world now where we don't go to war over sexism, racism, homophobia, all of those things but we're in the midst of a moral revolution.
1: When companies don't invest in education, allyship often becomes performative, whereby employees show their support for advancing equality, but only for a short period of time. To create transformative change, organisations need to provide employees with the awareness and understanding of how inequality works so that they'll know what actions they need to take every day to create a workplace that works for everyone.
0: Performative allyship is an interesting concept because one, we all do it, right? It is not something that, um, that one group does and one group doesn't. What performative allyship is, is doing something for praise, is doing something for recognition, is doing something so that um, you can feel better about yourself. If you're doing allyship right, you actually don't feel good in the short term because you have to look at yourself, right? So if I look at all the ugly things that I've done in the world, I actually don't feel really good about myself. I'm probably going to feel some guilt, which I need to give up. But I do believe if you are doing performative allyship, you don't feel what I like to call a self-imposed shame. And I actually believe that the shame is really valuable if I actually shame myself right? If I feel ashamed of my actions, like, then that means that I've done the interrogative work, then I should feel something. I shouldn't feel guilt, right? But I should feel shame to say that I haven't lived up to what I believe my real values and my standards are. And the only way that one knows what their real values and their standards are is to look at our behaviors, because our our behaviors are the indicators of who we really are and what our, our values are. So performative allyship is the need for someone to see, someone to witness, someone to give you credit, someone to give you something for your actions. And if you need anything to create a world that's more equal and equitable, you are performing a certain type of allyship because you shouldn't need anything. Like it's a part of the social contract that I take care of you and you take care of me because that's really what we're put on this earth to do. We're not put on this earth to be a millionaire or to be successful. And it's why, um, and I'm gonna say something pretty dangerous, It's why I believe that men think that women belong to the world and men are of the world. So the idea that women belong to the world is because your bodies are the reason that the human race can continue. So you belong to the world, but men believe we're of the world. That's why language like Papa was a rolling stone, like exists, like like men are of the world. We get to move around and graze, but the world thinks that it owns women. You know, um, and in some cases, right, we treat women as property, as ownership, because we fundamentally know that without you all, that that our civilization ceased to exist. But the challenge is to realize that we're moving into a space because of the force of time, that women no longer are okay with that arrangement. And we're watching uh, men um, feel so afraid and frightened when women are of, uh, the world. And now men are are being held accountable, which means that you belong to the world because truthfully, all of us belong to this planet, right? And it's our responsibility to take care of it. So what we're witnessing is that two groups of individuals are coming closer to understand that both of us belong to the world and both of us are of the world. But, But what we really need to understand is that we're put on this earth, and I've said this again, so I'm being repetitive now, to just take care of each other. And the idea of, performative allyship. is not that I'm doing it because I believe that I'm here to take care of, of you, but I'm doing it because I need to feel better about myself. And that's not the end goal.
1: Here Wade shares the specific actions that each of us can take to practice allyship.
0: The first step is to find out not what you are, but who you are. And the first step to do that is to interrogate all of the things that you do when no one's watching, right? Because we all can put on airs and be this really wonderful, fantafical person when people are watching us, when the camera's on, when you're talking to your kids or your friends around you. But what are you doing every day when there is no camera, when there are no eyes on you? Those are the things that, to me, is the first step that we have to put a microscope on. So when I am um, alone and I'm watching television and the George Floyd video happens, what's my first thought? I need to interrogate that, like, Do I feel guilt? And if I do feel guilt, what do I feel guilty about? Right? Or do I turn away? Or do I come up with an excuse for why this thing is happening to George Floyd? So, the first thing that anyone has to do is, interested in being an ally, is interrogate our actions when no one is watching. And then actually write those down, right? Because as long as it lives in our head, it's not real, right? And I believe that you actually have to name it in order to start to control it, right? So I interrogate everything that I do when no one is watching me, write those down. And then I got to go and tell someone who is of the same identity group. So if I'm a white person and I'm trying to create a world where anti-blackness doesn't exist, I'm going to write down all of the the really terrible, awful true thoughts that I have. And then I'm going to go find another white person and I'm going to sit and talk to them about it because I got to get it out of my my head. Like, I actually need to understand that I'm not alone in this. So if I'm a man and I'm trying to do the same thing around gender equality, I got to tell someone about it, but I got to tell them the whole truth. Because if I don't tell them the whole truth about all of my actual thoughts, then I'm still holding back, then I'm still not willing to give up something. And what I'm trying to give up is fear, is fear that someone's going to see me as a bad person or someone's going to see me as evil. But what is true is that none of us are really secretive, right? Like you and me both, we've had some awful thoughts about all types of people, right? And that's human. It doesn't make you less than or better than anyone else. But as long as I'm afraid to own that part of myself, how can I ever overcome that part of myself? How can I ever not let that part of myself control me? So the first part of allyship is a self-assessment, a self-interrogation of all of the ways that I have not shown up in the ways that that I want to. And then I got to tell someone about it. And I got to tell that person who is in the same identity group as me, because that is the person who more than likely I can find some solidarity with. I can't go and talk to the person, I can't as a white person go and talk to the black person because now you're trying to pass your burden on to that individual. I can't as the man go and talk to a woman about all the ways that I'm sexist. I need to spend time with the same identity group and start to find, um, not safety or respite there, but what I'm searching for is a mirror. And that person more than likely has gone through the exact same experiences than me. And I'm hoping that we can partner, that this person can, can be my accountability partner, and that we can say, so what can we do together to overcome ourselves? Right, Because you've, you've got to overcome yourself. And what I mean is you've got to overcome that fear to see who you really are. And if you can't do that phase, you can't be an ally, in quotes, to someone in another identity group because you can't even look at yourself in the mirror. So to me, like that is the first most actionable phase that anyone who wants to be an ally has to do. And the last thing I'll say about why that phase is so important is that at the end of that phase, you realize, as the quote says, that your liberation is tied to everyone else's. And if you can see, that, oh, if I end racism as a white person, and that I benefit too, that I gain my humanity back. I, as a man, if I'm advocating for gender equality and I realize that, oh, men also benefit from creating a world that's more equal and equitable, I benefit to have a greater sense of who I am and my humanity.
1: For me, the biggest part of being an ally is to recognize how more equal world serves to benefit me. In practicing allyship, the person that I'm really helping is myself.
0: Stop asking the group who you're trying to be an ally for what you can do to help them. It has to be said. When a white person asks a black person to explain their experience as a black person in the world, it's a level of innocence that no one deserves. Because if you ask a white person what they like to experience the world as a black person, they will say no. That answer tells me that they already know what my experience is as a black person. They just don't want to own it to themselves. If you ask a man, would he like to experience the world as a woman? He would say no. And that says that you know everything that you need to know about what the world has done to women. So stop asking the other group what you can do to help because you already know. So own that to yourself and do the work on yourself so that those types of innocent questions are never asked anymore.
1: for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you found the interview with Wade a useful overview of what allyship is, why it matters, and how you can begin to put it into practice. The key with this work, though, is to make it personal, to link being an ally to how this makes you more of who you want to be. I encourage all allies to think about this by completing the sentence, A more equal workplace serves to benefit me because... When you can complete that sentence, you'll know that you're doing the work. If you want to learn more about allyship, then I encourage you to please check out my book, The Fix, which is available at all major retailers. In The Fix, I share how each of us can practice allyship and build workplaces that work for everyone. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.